Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. Hello and welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. This is a podcast to come to for best practices and insights on the developer marketing world. In each episode, we meet a different guest, each with a background in technology, who will share their experiences, success stories and lessons learned. We are Slash Data and our mission is to help the world understand developers. Stay tuned for more episodes by signing up at developermarketingpodcast.com. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. I'm Joe Stitchbury, one of the senior analysts in the team, and today I'm joined by Adrian Spire, Head of Community at Vanilla Forums. Adrian, we've not met before, so I'll give you a short description of my background and then ask you to tell me about yourself. I have a fair amount of experience as a developer. I was an early mobile developer in the days of Symbian. And besides them, I worked for Nokia and Sony Ericsson. I later moved into publishing and technical writing when I realized just how difficult it was to find good explanations of difficult subjects. And I worked with a number of teams to grow their developer portals and develop content to attract and retain developers. So, Adrian, can you tell us about your bio and background, please? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a kind of an interesting story. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, it ties really to the history of the Internet um, for me because I've always been someone who's built communities. So I don't know if you're familiar. Maybe it's uh, – I know I'm Canadian. So uh, there was a company called CompuServe. Um, oh, I yes. Guess, yeah. yeah. So for us, that was kind of the the entrance to the Internet. and. I was always one of those kids that was looking to build spaces for like-minded people. So um, I was always building, you know, bulletin board systems and forums and all that kind of stuff, um, doing it in my spare time. And um, for 14 years, I worked in the electronics industry in various roles. Um, but I was always, you know, thirsting to learn and build communities and spaces, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, using vBulletin or vanilla or, um, all kinds of different packages. And then in 2005, 2006, I was looking to find, to build a form for a project. And um, I'd used all these different packages, but they weren't really doing what I needed. And I, I came across this uh, new form platform called Vanilla. Um, and so I joined their open source community. And there was just something so fun about, you know, being part of this, you know, small software open source community that was just building uh, an amazing thing and had a dream. And I just got really involved in um, that open source project. And, you know, that's the great thing about open source projects that, you know, you can just jump in and contribute. And, you know, over time, I, I really respected them uh, as a project. And around 2013, when I was looking to do about a career change, uh, there was an opportunity, well, uh, an opportunity to join them in, in a marketing function. So I, I actually did. I joined them in August of 2013. And uh, I've been there ever since, so quite happy, to be honest. Yeah. 
So I see. Yeah. So um, did you think you'd end up in marketing? Do you think your younger self, when you were working in electronics, would ever have foreseen that you'd end up in marketing? Oh, uh, no. I actually kind of fell into it in a way. Um, I, was, uh, I have a degree in history, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> um, from, from McGill. Um, mostly American history, actually, what I studied, which has come in handy in business and understanding the history of where people come from. But uh, really, for me, I just got an opportunity to you know try marketing. And then slowly, over time, I was like in customer service, and I slowly moved into marketing. So I, I, I've always been very curious, which I think is an important part of things. And I s- somehow fell into like these open source projects. Like one of the things that I was, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, I was always kind of curious and, and, and looking at stuff. So I joined uh, this open source project called P-Week, uh, or I think now it's called Matamo, which is an open source analytics. Their um, role is really to look at open sourcing Google Analytics or essentially making an equivalent to it. And it's a really great project. And I really loved working with them. It gave me a chance to kind of do community and marketing and all kinds of other things. So I think that also whet my appetite a bit. Um, so my younger self probably would have never thought I'd ended up where I did, but it kind of makes sense now that I have some perspective. Looking back on it, I kind of was building towards this moment. I see, yeah. And looking back now, as you say, what would be your advice to your younger self um, or any young professional considering working particularly in developer marketing? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I think that um, the thing for me that I – you know, especially for development, and and I'm the, I'm the first to admit I'm not a developer, but I've you know I, I think I'm hard on myself, right? Because I I've certainly have coded plenty of plugins, and I think the thing to do is really find amazing open source projects that you're passionate about, and just jump in and contribute. You know, these these all these open source projects they need your help. So you'll also learn a ton and and see people making amazing things, and you'll also learn. Um, you know, certain skills and ways of dealing with people that will come in really handy later on when you, or if you decide to further your career into uh, developer marketing. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, developer marketing um, is something that we talk about in our book, which is called Developer Marketing, The Essential Guide, um, where we talk a lot about how developer marketing differs from more traditional marketing because developers tend to be a bit more jaded, a bit more cynical, um, and a little bit more resistant to a message that is all about selling. So if you're not a developer, do you think you can be effective in this field? And I mean, you've obviously overcome it and been very successful. So what is it that, that you do? Do you think it is the fact that you jump in and you contribute and that you're happy to learn? Or are you good at bullshitting? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like I said, I think, I think what happened is I, I just jumped in you need some technical acumen or an interest and really a good dose of curiosity. You know, I think understanding kind of the things that matter, just jumping in and, and, and learning in that way. So like I said, I'm not a developer, but you know, I've certainly coded a ton of plugins and I've spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours talking to developers on teams I've worked on because, you know, if you think about it, funny enough in your own company, those devs can be your focus group. And uh, you know, usually because I, I'm in this process of dealing with developers as well and, and helping them build spaces, I ask them all the time, who are companies they admire? You know, what approaches are working on you? And I've learned a lot from them because generally, um, whatever you're working on, whatever tool or, or, or project, your uh, your own devs are kind of your target market. So 
you know, you kind of have this kind of free place to kind of ask that question, right? And, you know, in general, you know, most of the time the answer I get from them is they want frictionless experiences. You know, they just want to get the answers they need to move the project forward. And they, they really enjoy, you know, seeing how people are ingenious and doing things and solving problems. And of course, they're very, very allergic to obvious marketing employees. So I think authenticity is really important. I think really hitting them on the nose hard with marketing messages is probably not the way to go. And um, certainly focusing on, you know, showcasing people that are creating, you know, crazy or cool things with your project. Like I remember, um, I think I was at DevRelCon London and I saw they had this really good sample where they were, you know, trying to attract the developers and they were showing a drone, how their API was being used for a drone to do payments where you could have like a package delivered and then pay with WorldPay. And I just thought that was fantastic. And, you know, they weren't trying to say, hey, use our API. They were saying, here, check out this really cool um, use case that someone did with our API where you could have a drone be used to drop off packages and pay with WorldPay. And I just thought that was fantastic, you know, because it wasn't really a, hey, use our, you know, kind of a, a real direct marketing message, but kind of a showcase of what, what could be done with the product. Yeah, that is, that is the difference entirely, isn't it, between successful developer marketing and a hard sell. Um, it sounds like you really, you really are curious and you love finding out things. Is that what you would say is the thing that you love most about developer relations and developer marketing? It's just that ability to be able to plunge in every day is different and you're constantly finding out new things. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. I, I think having just a curiosity and a genuine interest in other people and what they're working on. Um, and just, you know, you learn so much sometimes because it's so rare that, um, you know, you think that people get asked the question, you know, what are you working on? Or what are your, your frustrations? Or, um, you know, what can be done better? And, you know, you, you learn so much just talking to people. You know, I, I think I try to be very sensitive to the fact, obviously, I work at a software vendor, I'm not hiding that. But I never approach anyone with that um, aspect. I really, really want to understand how they engage their developers and how do they connect. And, you know, if we have a solution that works for them, that's great. And if not, at least we can talk about, you know, ways that they can use the tools they have now to do better. Mm, yeah. So you mentioned your company. Um, we've talked a little bit about what you do, but can you tell us a bit more about Vanilla Forums? What, what is it that you, um, that you specialize in? And can you tell us about what your team in particular do? Yeah, so we're a hosted forum solution, um, which I, I guess doesn't really mean anything. Um, but to, to put it more in a direct way, I guess you could say, is um, we're basically a, a software um, that allows people to connect and have discussions online um, and allow the people that are building community for developer relations to kind of focus on doing that actual work and not worrying about, you know, security or updates or, um, you know, getting the latest patches or having to bother their IT team for updates and what have you. So we really focus on providing a, a world-class software that can run those discussions and be very flexible. You know, um, I talked to one company, for example, one of the ways they wanted to use this was to have regional groups that they could have. Um, their developers kind of, you know, self-join into these microgroups and work on special projects. Or um, we have ways that people can have a public uh, area or a private area. And um, the other thing that we do, which is very unique to some of the other competitors that are out there, because certainly there's a lot of competitors out there, um, we offer what we call our custom, our customer success team, or our success team rather. And what that is is included with every plan. We have uh, a dedicated person who will work with you 
just it's it's more than just you know uh, you know something's not working. It's like how can I engage people and how can I um, keep them coming back? And we use various frameworks that we have come up with to ensure success, and um, we work through that. So it's it's more than just you having to kind of figure out how to use the software, and it's a lot more than just you know um, the general customer support you would get. We're actually there from start to finish. And, and beyond. So I think that's something that's quite unique. That sounds really interesting. And I'm going to ask you a bit more about spilling some of those secrets in a little while. But um, tell us about your team. Well, that's an interesting one, I guess. Um, I'm the head of community, but that's really where it ends and where it goes, I guess you could say from that point of view. You know, my team, I'm part of the marketing team. So I report into the VP of marketing and I have a fantastic team of uh, content marketers and uh, marketing managers that are doing great, great work. And my, my job really is to be out there and talking to people that are building communities and dealing with uh, communities of all type and ensuring that our messaging is authentic and real and the content that we're creating is of benefit to the community. One of the things that is special to my heart or very important is that um, we help move the industry forward with uh, really great content and um, providing you know webinars and ebooks and um, case studies that are of value and not just selling our software or um, pushing the vanilla brand, but also to be helpful and of service to the people that are building the communities of the future. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, that's very much what we're trying to do at, at Slash Data in terms of writing a book about developer marketing is trying to show people the way because um, I think I speak for all of us in the company and that we see that developers are, you know, spreading their um, ability to influence throughout companies everyone's a software developer these days or is working with them and so um, you need to be able to talk the language and uh, make the connections and build the community and work within the community in a far greater way than than even sort of 10 15 years ago yeah i think there's a there's a definite thirst out there for knowledge and um i would say in the last five years i've seen a, a massive increase in the amount of resources that just weren't there. Mm-hmm. So in the last 10 years, I know Stack Overflow hit their 10-year birthday um, quite recently. So, um, you know, they're there. And there's an argument to say that they're the best-known developer product. I'm sure you've been asked this question many times. But why would a company that's thinking of setting up a developer portal, maybe particularly a smallish one that's not got a huge amount of resources to moderate and um, sort of supply answers why why would people do that rather than just encourage a community to build up around a tag on um, a stack exchange okay that, that, that's that's a fair question actually we're, we're also celebrating 10 years so i guess we have something in common with them um so uh, you know the thing is this um we have seen more and more companies come in to use our platform and i think the reason is, is that people are understanding that they kind of want to have a bit more control over things. You know, you keep ha- you know, hearing about scandals with Facebook or uh, you know, other, other channels. And at the end of the day, people you know, have been fleeing those kinds of services for the longest time. And you know, specifically, you know, when you're on something like Stack Overflow or Reddit or what have you, um, I find that if you're someone new, it can be very uh, intimidating. I know when I first started programming, um, if I would go to Stack Overflow and ask a question, if I didn't phrase it the right way, or I didn't um, 
you know, use the right tag or whatever, you would just get eviscerated and kind of left you with a really bad feeling. It wasn't really a very welcoming place um, where you have a bit more control when it's on your own space as well. Um, the, other, the other challenge too is, you know, what do you do if there's a bully on Stack Overflow? Um, you know, you don't really have a lot of tools, you know what I mean, to kind of protect your, the people that are interested in your project. Um, you don't have a way to kind of, you know, block or, or merge or, or even really have a reputation in a specific area in, in the same ways that you would with your own tool. Um, I, I, it's not that I want to discount Stack Overflow. I've used it quite a bit myself and read it, but I, I just see them as different channels, um, to be honest. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I was actually, I was going to ask you later about um, Stack Overflow because they did recently publish um, a new set of guidelines on how to behave and, um, you know, how not to snark and how to deal with trolls. And obviously, as we try to encourage diversity in the tech workplace, um, people that are making forums toxic is a huge part of the problem. Um, so I was going to ask you how you stop them. I mean, you said about control. So does Vanilla put in more tools that makes it possible? Or is it simply that because you are running them yourself, you can ban people? Well, it's it's a little bit more than that. So we have some tools. I, you know, I, um, you know, I think sometimes what happens is people have this concept of, I think we, we um, when we were setting up this interview, we had a discussion about gamification or there was a question about that. Um, and the thing is, I really hate that word gamification, if, we, if I can tell you a secret. Um, I think it's a word that's overused. Um, but I think people use it as a shorthand way to understand rewarding people for actions. Mm -hmm. But for us, uh, when you look at gamification, it, to me, it's less about points and more about reputation. Or um, interestingly, we always called it our reputation system internally. So it's not about how many post posts you put out or you know that kind of thing. It's more about how many of your discussions or comments your peers found helpful or insightful, or how many people found your answer solved their problem. So it's more about your reputation, your personal brand more than anything. And that's, you know, really how it's used. And I think by us having those kinds of tools there and allowing um, the owners of that, those spaces to have that kind of control um, does tamper down on it. Obviously um, you need to be active and involved in your online community. Um, you know, and I think that's sometimes a challenge too. And something like Stack Overflow, it's so big. And you know, how do you how do you manage a tag? You know, a tag channel. You know what I mean? You have to be watching it con continuously. Whereas, you know, if you're owning it, you kind of can be notified of certain conversations. People can report conversations directly to you. Um, mm. You know, so you have a you have quite a bit more control from that point of view. And and yeah, I mean, certainly I understand you know why people choose Stack Overflow. But I, I also see that there's some dangers in relying on it only. I, I, I certainly see it as a channel among many. Just as, you know, I wouldn't suggest, I would suggest to people, hey, you know what, Facebook, Twitter, all these channels are great. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you want to have something that you have as your own. Because, you know, rules can change at any time. Things can go down. Um, you, you know, I know we're talking about developer marketing and relations in this sense. But an, another interesting portion of it is, when you, when you own the uh, platform, you can kind of see, you can tie back to what these people have done. So for example, if someone's on Stack Overflow who's being a troll or what have you, uh, you don't know if they've actually downloaded your software or what their reputation is. Whereas, you know, if, if you, you know, uh, did like an SSO connection with their software, you'd be able to see, okay, they downloaded the API package or they have an API key. You know, what exactly are they building? Are they actually 
you know, of benefit to the community and what they're, what they're doing, or are they just someone who's just being a troublemaker? So you kind of have a bit more insight that you necessarily wouldn't have on a, a third party platform. I see. And is that the same? So if you're hosted or if you host it yourself, so you have that kind of control? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, we, we have a, a version that people can host themselves. And um, that's kind of, you you know, you, you, you download it and then you have to fix it yourself. We don't offer mm-hmm. it that way. We have our open source community, certainly, that people can get help on. Um, but we have some more advanced features in the hosted version. Plus, you get the benefit of someone working with you directly in my team and um, a customer success team as well so that, you know, we can tell you about different ways that you can solve that problem. So if there's a troll and you're not really comfortable or you don't know what to do, we can, we can look at the situation with you and kind of give you that advice and show you how other companies have dealt with it. And we have a lot of experience on it. We've, you know, as I've mentioned, we've been in business 10 years. We have thousands of customers. We have over a million downloads of our open source project or close to a million. I think we're like 970,000 or something of that nature. So, um, you know, certainly we've, we have a lot of years of experience in the space. So, um, you know, I think, I think that is a benefit that you're not going to get necessarily with a, a package. Cause like, if you're having an issue on stack overflow, who can you ask for help? Yeah. Like, yeah. I believe they've got like two and a half people or something working, working for them in that respect. Whereas as you say, you've got a whole community behind it. So, um, the content that you mentioned that you're creating, is this the kind of thing then the knowledge base of how to deal with a troll or how to, you know, how to deal with someone that um, doesn't have English as a first language that's not really, you know, um, learned how to ask a question correctly, how you educate someone without switching them off and making them feel like you're um, telling them to go away. Is that the kind of content that you create then is guides? So, I mean, the, the content we have is, is varied in many different ways. Uh, a lot of it is, um, you know, how, you know, how to build it, how to, like, we have a couple of webinars coming up, um, one on just uh, best practices from DevRel communities and how other people are building DevRel communities. We have one on, um, you know, choosing the right KPIs, knowing how and what to measure. Uh, our, our individual consultants or success team members are there for those specific uh, concerns and questions um, that they work on. And we also have frameworks that that are unique to vanilla that we work on when people are building the community or come to our platform so that we're um, a bit more, um, what's the word I want to say, structured. We're structured on the way that we do things. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at what makes a community successful and um, how to make sure that people are committed and um, putting the amount of energy and resource needed to be successful. So that's really important um, right. for us as well, right? We, we want people to be successful with our platform and any community anyways requires um, work. I, I remember someone asking me a question on Quora the other day about how much work does a forum require? And I was kind of surprised <laughs> by the question because I was like, it's like launching any business unit. Like you need time, you need resources, you need a plan. It's not saying that it ends. It's not like, when does your, when does your online community project end? It's not just throwing up a forum. You know, it's, you know there's, there's a lot more work involved in that. Mm, I was going to ask you that as the next question, actually. So what... What is it that makes a community successful or, or what causes it to fail? And the reason I'm asking is because I've nearly always been on the failing team, <laughs> having worked with um, you know, various companies that, that have launched products to help developers and never really um, lived to um, see, well, they certainly not lived through to their 10-year anniversary like you have. So 
Um, what makes a successful community? That's that's a good question. And I, I think um, the real thing that it comes down to, well, first of all, failure is not, not always a bad thing because you can certainly learn a lot from failure. Um, the goal I always have is try not to repeat the same mistakes again and again. And I can tell you, I mean, I've had my share of, of failures because that's just, you know, the nature of things. Mm-hmm. But I've learned quite a bit from that. But let's let's focus on the, the positives in terms of success. So I, what I've seen is that the success comes with people that do proper planning. Um, they talk to their audience prior, during, and after launch, and they understand, you know, the concept or the reason that they're actually building that space. And I uh, kind of alluded to some things that we work on at Vanilla, but I'm happy to share that's those secrets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've written blog posts on it, so it's not you know super secretive in that way. But we really believe in this kind of concept of most valuable people. So you look at the people internally at your company and who are the most important people, your VP, director of product, what have you. And then you also look at the people externally who you're trying to attract. And you kind of want to marry the two. And that's kind of where the community management comes in. Um, because people make the mistake of um, launching a community, basically, oh, we'll just have a space. And, you know, well, what's the goal? Like, wh- why has this been created? So we use a framework called Cargo, which, you know, stands for concept, acquisition, retention, goals, and outcomes. And these are five questions that we believe you need to answer before you launch your community. Um, and so, you know, you have an idea of, first of all, obviously you need an investment. Um, you know, people that don't put the investment in terms of people and time uh, or don't have a clear concept for their audience usually fail. Um, and if they don't want to spend the time on answering those cargo questions, they usually also, it's usually a, a red light for us that there's going to be a problem. Mm. Um, but if they put the time in and um, they consider things such as, well, why am I building this community? And what are the goals that the people that pay me care about? And what are the reasons that I'm training the space so that people want to come back again and again? And kind of marrying those two seems to be, in most cases, what works the best. And I think usually when one is not taking care of the other, usually ends up failing because inevitably if you just create a community just for engagement, someone comes along and says, well, why do we have this thing? And why are we, why are we paying you? And then people scramble to find that answer. And then if you're only worrying about what the people internally care about, then people externally kind of say, well, why am I even here? There's no value to me because I feel like all I'm getting is marketing messages or being pushed uh, to download stuff or what have you. Um, So it's really a, a balance that you have to figure out. I see. That's great. Thank you. So I'll move on now to a question that I've been asking everybody that we've had on the pod, um, which is what do you see as the future of um, developer marketing? What's coming down the pipe? But I'm going to ask you in a slightly different way. So what do you see um, that might be coming up in um, in the kind of area that you work in, in the, in the um, community and forum space? So for example, Loads of people jumping on the AI bandwagon. Do you see sentiment analysis to uh, look at people's posts before they even hit submit to determine if they're trolls, or do you see use of neural nets for something? What's what's up with the you know um, artificial intelligence in forums? Is there anything possible? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, a lot of it's already being done. Um, we have a customer of ours called Rapfinder, and he's doing fantastic work with that analysis of the content auto tagging content based on what people are talking about and it analyzes Mm -hmm. all the content that goes into the community i think that what i've noticed or the trend um, that's 
most to watch for is that, you know, a lot of people are, it's kind of like we're going back in time, which is kind of uh, fun and interesting because there was a point that people said forums were dead. And I, I don't know what it is, but we've been busier than ever. And I, a lot of people have been coming to us going, I want to get off of Facebook. I want to get off these other spaces and bring things in the house. And I really see that as a trend that's continuing. I think that there's a bitter, a bitter sensitivity to how your data is being used. And mm-hmm. um, companies themselves also want to avoid the embarrassment of having their, plat- their, their community on a network that can cause an issue. We did, uh, for example, um, we did a case study with uh, Xamarin. And one of the things that they said to us is, or during the case study, it was one of the things they said to us was having the platform or having the conversations with their developers on a forum help prevent a lot of situations that could have gone negatively um, if it had been on social. Because, you know, if you're on 140 characters or on Facebook, you're more likely to, something could get out of hand or viral or what have you. And not to say that things on a forum can't, that can't happen, but you have a bit more space and room to have that conversation, be honest, mm. kind of know who you're talking to. You're not hidden behind a username, right? Like it's not some anonymous person. You usually have their email and you, you kind of have a concept of who this person is. So you know they're not a troll. They, you, you, you know where they're coming from. You have that bit of honesty that you can have that conversation on, you know, what's going on and how we're going to fix it or, you know, those challenges. And I think I, I really see that continuing. I, you know, was talking, I've been talking to a lot of community man- management professionals for the last uh, couple of months about this trend that they, a lot of them have just kind of deleted Facebook from their phones and uh, kind of are now focused really on these smaller communities where they're really focused on um, truly going back, I think, to what the meaning is of community, is that people really helping people in these special spaces. And I think that the forum space is offering that um, in, in a way that people aren't able to get anywhere. Mm. yeah it's an interesting one and when you were talking about um someone saying that forums are dying it's interesting we i had an interview with joel from stack overflow um not that long ago and he was actually advocating you know if you set up a developer community the only thing you really need is is um you know either a stack exchange which (laughs) surprising he says that or some kind of forum um he was saying look you know all this documentation people create to be honest, you can do a lot of documentation through questions and answers. You're building a knowledge base on your forums um, rather than pages and pages of tutorials that get out of date. Ask the questions that people want to know the answers to, solve their problems directly there. And, you know, as a technical writer who's written a lot of tutorials over the years, I love that idea. I think that's great because, you know, as a thread gets old, you delete it, you ask the question again, and you get somebody to answer it. Maybe it's somebody in your DevRel team. uh, Maybe it's somebody in the community. But the thing is, is that you're keeping the knowledge fresh and it's pithy. And if you're working on a forum, you also have the ability to post code, which you don't have if you're on Facebook and you certainly don't have if you're on Twitter. Um, so you're basically using the forums as your entire portal. Well, Do you think a, that's fair? Yeah, no. Well, they're, they're, you're, you're, th- you're making me think of another customer that I'm not going to share their name because I think they, they wouldn't want me to. But um, what, what they told me when we were talking was what they loved about the forum was they themselves didn't have the technical know-how that their community did. So by creating mm-hmm. this space, they were kind of able to tap into all these really brilliant people on Stack Overflow and Reddit and other spaces, and they could come and kind of share their knowledge in the forum. 
and just build up this repository of just like examples of code and how things were created. And it, um, it just kind of went a bit viral from that point of view because people just started, you know, wanting to showcase how they did stuff and people re remixing other people's code and showing what they were doing with it. And um, the people themselves that are running the community were technical, but not technical enough to really start answering these really detailed questions. But because of the way that they went about it and creating this space, it kind of um, created a community where everyone could kind of pitch like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to do this and how, how can I do it? And then people would swarm with all these answers. And then they were able to then take that content and then update their knowledge base um, to keep it fresh and knowledge uh, mm -hmm. as well. So it works as a two-way street, um, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really excited by that. I know I'm doing myself out of a job, but I just you know, <laughs> have no, you been responsible no. for keeping documentation up to date? It's just like, oh, brilliant. Let's just chuck it all away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, because, uh, you know, the thing is, um, there still needs to be some clarity. I mean, we, uh, you know, we were talking about the future in that sense. And I think that there's there's still a, a need from um, that point of view, curating and putting things in a, in a way that makes sense. I mean, certainly the thing about forms that make it also really um, sticky and interesting is people use their own language. Um, and what I mean by that is it's kind of not full of marketing BS. You know, if, I, I, if I'm in marketing um, at a company and I think of the way I would ask a question, will be totally different than someone who's frustrated in asking that question. And I think that's why forms do so well for SEO, because it's not sanitized by the marketing team that's kind of thinking what someone would be searching to find the answer. It's really what someone who has a problem is actually writing to find an answer. Um, and even then, I think someone who's a technical writer can jump in there and kind of create these summaries in, in a forum uh, or in a knowledge area where, you know, here, here's the, the best picks or best knowledge from the community. Um, I've seen some really successful newsletters that, that, that do exactly that and just make it so interesting that people want to join in and join the community and, and add more. So I don't, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a, I don't think you're writing yourself out of a job. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think, you know, there's always this kind of, I always call it gardening. There's the gardening job, isn't there? If not the actual, um, you know, the content creation from scratch, you're still, like you say, you're refining it and you're summarizing it and you're moving it around. And let's face it, lots of people have different ways of asking what's effectively the same question. And lots of people have different ways of answering that question. And you need to kind of combine that. Um, I guess very much like kind of Wikipedia, um, people are, are constantly collaborating to create that body of knowledge and, and there's no reason why you can't do that on a forum very successfully for a technical audience indeed. And I'm, I'm guessing that um, your forums would also work with a slightly non-technical audience. Do you, do you sort of um, work with um, companies beyond the um, standard technology companies or is, is that yeah. where you draw the line? No, we have we have all kinds of um, communities. We have gaming communities, technical communities. I mean, certainly the technical communities are our are, are largest uh, portion. But I mean, we've I mean, we have a lot of like I said, gaming. We've got I think we even have a forum for Arabian horsing uh, or um, for people that are you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, raising Arabian horses. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've got um, we've got digital spy. Uh, we've got uh, you know, the knot, the bump, um, we've got uh, Oculus, we've got, mm. um, you know, various things. Uh, we have a boat, boating, several boating uh, communities. We have golfing communities. We've got, you know, so there's sports and recreation and commercial. And I think as long as people want uh, to create spaces to connect with their 
with their groups, um, there will always be a, a need for something that we're offering. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just amazing when you think back. Um, we were talking earlier about your younger self, and I'm, I don't know how old you are, but certainly, um, you know, I grew up without the internet. And, and now you can ask anybody, you know, for advice on how to grow an avocado from a, an avocado stone or, you know, how to write some PHP to, as you say, how to look after your Arabian horse. I mean, what an amazing thing in 20, 30 years. Yeah, I won't, I won't give away my age, but suffice to say, I, I remember in elementary school typing my homework on a typewriter, and the smartest kid in school was whoever had the most up-to-date Encyclopedia Britannica in their house. <laughs> and so if it wasn't in the Encyclopedia Britannica, you, you were kind of an SOL. Um, mm. You just go to the library. I mean, that was really, you know, I, I'm not, I was there at the very beginning of the internet, not, not in the 70s, you know, like there at the you know, old enough to remember that aspect of it. But it, certainly when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was, you know, the internet had begun to be a thing, you know, where at, at, at one point you had to go to the library and use library cards. And then one day it was like, no, use this terminal, right? And, and, and type things in to find out if the library had a book. Mm. And, and now you don't even need to go to the library. You can get the book uh, online digitally. Um, it's just a fantastic um, thing to have seen in the last 30 40 years yeah yeah it is it's quite amazing and of course it has brought with it uh, besides all the the wonders it's brought some problems we've talked about trolling we've talked about toxic environments and um how to encourage diversity and i guess this is something that um you know you are leading um leading the way in in many ways to um help people understand some of these problems is that you know something that you address from a sort of um the point of view of evangelizing technology and, and how people talk and communicate on the internet because we, we hear a lot about you know bullying cyberbullying and and how Facebook and people are going to be regulated are you involved in that kind of discussion a lot of the conversations we have are are one-to-one -one with our customers in that way um, you know and how to deal with it I think the challenge now is that um, sadly as um, we were saying how the internet has kind of opened up all this stuff. At the same time, it's also made people very lonely um, and isolated. So, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, there's kind of a loss of um, certain skills. When you're online, you kind of forget there's humans and emotions on the other end. Uh, uh. You know, so um, that that's really, uh, I think, the, the thing that's hard, right, for people to understand. Um, generally, I mean, We've been lucky from the, for the most part is that a lot of our customers that we deal with is business to business, but certainly we've had challenges where um, trolls are involved. And, you know, I think the, you know, what we know is um, always the evidence, you know, the story that if you don't feed the trolls or what have you. Um, but um, it's, it's always a challenge for anyone dealing with um, people online uh, to deal with those kinds of um, situations. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's a a solution or a you know a, a way to solve it completely for everyone. Uh, but I'm certainly I'm interested in the motivations of what causes people to act in that way. And I, like I said, I think a lot of it has to do with isolation and the the changes of way way things are nowadays with um, people not having as much um, in person interaction. A lot of it's online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it will be very interesting to see with the the following generations you know we we do remember a time before um my child definitely doesn't to see just how they shape this kind of 
um, communication because it's it's for them and and also they're impacted by it as well in terms of you know our generation have shared their baby photos and everything in between um, until they reach adulthood and start saying no actually mum you can't sh- share my photos anymore um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how a generation that's been brought up exposed um, to so much interaction online um, then decides to you know where they decide to take it and where they decide to limit it yeah i think i think there's kind of an attitude towards it of basically where for maybe people that are older we look at it in a shocking way they kind of see it as a no big deal scenario mm. um you know so I, that's the other thing too is i love to have chats with um younger people just to understand how how they look at community building and this kind of thing and um what i find interesting is just how they um view those interactions they kind of siloed them all and uh they're very good at their privacy settings and putting things together. So they're not really, you know, whereas we wouldn't necessarily put things online. They tend to be like, well, I'll put it online, but it's for my friends and I'm not really so worried about it. And the employer kind of has to understand that that was when I was younger and now I'm in, in business and this is different. And um, it's more us having to, I think the older people having to change the attitudes of how we view things as opposed to them changing their behavior. I don't know mm. if they will, to be honest. It's yeah, more yeah. us adapting to them than them adapting to us. Yes, I can see that, yeah. You know, I can remember when I first started working, it was suit and tie and, um, you know, three-piece suit and no casual Fridays and, um, you know, not the company I'm at, but the company I started working at. And now, I mean, it's a totally different world. I mean, you almost would see no company where someone comes to work in a three-piece suit unless they're in banking. And even then, I don't even think they, they do that anymore. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a very different attitude. And so I, I'm guessing that, um, as you say, there will be a lot more understanding of this was how I behaved when I was younger. Um, if that material is even available, it seems to me like, um, you know, the kids, the kids these days are using things like Snapchat, which, um, you know, doesn't perpetuate that information anyway. And as you say, they've got very good at siloing it off so that it doesn't become an embarrassment. But if it does leak out, then, you know, the attitude will be different from the kind of witch hunt that we do see from time to time with good reason um for different people yeah the only the only fear i have or the only thing that you know kind of alluded it to before was you know the encyclopedia the encyclopedia britannica uh, my parents had from 1965 will be here in 100 years from now i don't know Mm -hmm. if a lot of the content online will be there in 100 years from now you know that's the sad thing because um a lot of these places where conversations are having uh, are you know snapshots in time and you know archive.org does a great job of archiving stuff and you know but things disappear i mean think of all those geocities sites i mean i know a lot of them were ugly but there was some really great content out there that kind of you know disappeared i know some of it was captured but you know over time you know that that kind of thing is always worrisome to me um, mm, how much yeah. disappeared because it's not like people i mean there was a time where you could get a book called the internet and it had like a directory of all the websites <laughs> uh, you know now such a thing would be unheard of and i also would probably be so large you probably have to get a, a moving truck to get delivery of it but um you know that's certainly one thing like i think about a lot of all this great knowledge you know certainly is now online but what will happen in 100 years from now with all that stuff that's well. yeah that's a very interesting point yeah i mean <laughs> just speaking personally because i've worked for companies that have since um shall we say reinvented themselves um a lot of my portfolio of writing has disappeared because their sites have gone down so 
the only content I really have when I want to go to a job interview is to take books that I've written, um, which were published, you know, sort of eight, eight to ten years ago. But that's, as you say, like the Encyclopedia Britannica, it's a paper copy and you can go there and you can say, I did this. Um, so, yeah, so I know very much um, firsthand what it's like to to see information vanish. Um, and just talking about GeoCities site, I don't know if you saw uh, Staff Overflow did a, a great um, yeah, April Fool today with the fantastic marquee tags and swirly cursors. Just a blast from the past. Yeah, I did see that. It was it was nice to see. It's uh, I mean, certainly when I first started on the internet, that was the the place to go to learn and code your first HTML site. And you know, and but it, I mean, it also just shows you you know how things change. I mean. You know, if I would have told you in, I don't know, 1995 or 96 that MySpace, I, I think MySpace was around then, would, would no longer be around. And, and even speaking of MySpace, look at that example of them losing all their music, right? Mm, they had yeah. that crash and they lost everything. It was kind of like an oops. Well, there's a digital history that's completely gone now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's who's to say that's not going to happen in multitudes of uh, different sites if it hasn't already. Absolutely. But, yeah. I mean, I can say for our part, we're really careful with backups and our, our you know, people can get their data out. So, um, you know, we're very mindful of that as well, just because of how ephemeral the uh, internet can be. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of ephemeral, we should be wrapping up now. It's been great to talk to you. Um, what we'll do is we'll get a link to um, the blog post that you mentioned that tells all your secrets about communities and what makes them successful, <laughs> um, and particularly cargo. And we'll make sure that we um, get that up on our site. Um, but thank you very much, Adrian, for having um, a fantastic chat with us. Um, and thank you to the listener for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and developer relations. Please do get in touch. And if you want to listen to other episodes, you can subscribe at developermarketingpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ for regular updates. Thank you. Thank you so much.